We're so thankful for your son, Jesus. We're so thankful that when we are yours, that as that song that we just sung, prepare me to be a sanctuary. You know, this, this auditorium right here is not a, what, what I determine a sanctuary because the Holy Spirit lives within us and our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and we are the sanctuary. Prepare us to be your sanctuary, Father. And we're so thankful that you are a God who wants to dwell with and in his people. And Father, as a family, as the body of Christ here at New Life, we want to pray for all of these who are hurting in their life and that they, they are sick or they have had loss. And Father, right now, I want to pray for Donna and the family of Bill and Dorothy and Jason. I want to pray for peace and comfort on, on that uh, in and also with with Kim's relative who was lost in the fire and for all of those of those three who were lost there I want to pray for Ron as he's going to the hospital we pray father that that you will continue to give him strength he is also a warrior for you and he is here every week even in the pain and the suffering that he does so father he is your warrior and we pray that you will take care of him and that this will be a temporary bump in the road for him and we pray for T.J. Fish that's battling the, the lung cancer and a brain tumor. And I, I, I just pray for everyone that is on our list, Father. We have so many listed, it's, it's hard to get everything. We pray for Sharon and the family, and especially with the loss of her mom. And if she hears that, I know it's going to devastate her. So, Father, please be with that and with anyone. And if I miss someone, I apologize. Uh, I just didn't get it wrote down this, this morning to go over it. But you know who they all are, Father, and we continue to, in prayer for that. And Father, I pray that as we get ready to open up your holy and divine word this morning, that you will help us to understand a little bit more about life, about our commitment to you, about our, our being a role model in the way we, we live and conduct ourselves. And Father, we just praise you for your son Jesus and what he did on the cross. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Um, and also our Berean chapters, if you want to snap a picture of that or to write those down. Um, because we're going to cover a lot of territory today and, and this will help fill in some of the gaps. You can go back that we'll be taking scriptures out of these chapters to be able to use. And, and remember our Wednesday night class. Um, we're in Genesis, we're going to be in chapter 11 this week talking about um, Tower of Babel and Nimrod and some of those things and then we're going to start getting introduced to Abraham and going forward. So uh, it's, it's a great time, it's a great study and a great fellowship afterwards that we have. Uh, Last week we began talking about Moses in the book of Exodus and if you want to turn there, we're going to, I just figured we're going to camp out in Exodus for a little bit. Uh, because it is such a great book that has so many foundational principles of faith about the body of Christ and about the church and about who God is and about characters like Moses that, that we can learn a lot of stuff from. And I'm going to tell you, today today's going to be about covenant, God's covenant with us. We're going to talk a little bit about a covenant relationship with, with God and uh Savannah, did you want me to sing, have him sing happy birthday to you? I just now saw that. Uh, I had told Ron up there, I think we do, but talking about all of this, it, it got me out of whack. 
Let, before we get into it, let's sing happy birthday. Happy birthday, Savannah. Now, next week, we got three more if they're all here. I just was looking on there. Uh, we're talking about God's covenant relationship with us. And in Exodus, we'll be in chapter 3 and 4 uh, today. But have you ever been reading through the scripture? And I mean, it's going along good. You're talking about um, Moses and God's revealing himself to the burning bush. That's where we're going to start at today. But... You know, you're going real good with all of this, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, God whacks you with a passage of Scripture that is obscure. It doesn't seem to fit into the narrative, and actually a little bizarre at times. That's what we're going to come across today. I want to share with you this bizarre Scripture, but I'm not going to reveal to you what it is yet. We'll get into it in a minute. All right, Exodus chapter 3, if you're there, about verse 5. God begins to, uh, to tell him as he saw that burning bush and he's curious and he walks up to it, he tells Moses to take your sandals off your feet because the place that you're standing, this is holy ground. And so Moses does and he's so humbled now that he won't even look up because he's afraid to look upon the presence of God. And God begins to speak to him and telling him how he's going to use him to be his tool to go and to bring his people back. He's going to tell them that I have saw the affliction of my people that's over there. I'd made a promise with Abraham a long time ago. And the time has come for me to remember them. And I have looked at them. And I know their affliction. I know what they're going through. And I am now going to get ready to bring them out. And you are the person. You're the one that's going to be used for that. And uh, <clears throat> then he says this. He says... Take off your sandals where the ground is is holy. And he says, I am the God of your father. And then he says, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And you know what? I have read that so many times and never thought anything about it. Just that God's introducing and he kind of uses that as a title for himself. But then I got to thinking, Why? Why does he always say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And as I meditated on that, I got to thinking of what great significance that is. In the role that parents play for kids. Because if you look at it, what God is really saying is, is I called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, and he listened. And even though we had some trials and we had some troubles, he, in the end, always stayed faithful to me and me to him. And I kept all those promises that I made. And I'm going to continue to keep those. Same thing with Isaac. The same thing with Jacob. Jacob was a swindler. Boy, you, you look at what him and his brother went through and stuff. But here's the thing. In the end, they continued in faith. And God continued in that relationship. And so what it is, is that how we are to be the role models to those who are 
uh, given to us as a blessing in that relationship of marriage. Whenever we come together and we have kids and then you build a family. So that when those youngsters grow up and they see the trials and the troubles and the things that you went through. And you were faithful in that. And God was faithful to you that through those bumps in the road. Through the pressures that you might have had in this life. That you didn't waver too far. And God always stood true and ended up blessing you somehow. Through all of the pressures and all of the tribulations and the things that you thought you had going. And what that does is the combination of a physical role model that you could see going along with your spiritual father God being faithful through it those two cords then provide a strong hold upon our kids as they grow up and one day when we're not there they can look back just like God keeps reminding them that I am the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob and you realize how it went with them and I am the same God that is with you. I'm going to put one more point in there on that before we go. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know what that means? They're still alive. He will go on to say in other passages later, I am the God of the living, not of the dead. So we all have immortal souls. It was God breathed into us. And he will always be our God. And we will all, when we leave here, we are in the presence of our Father. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he told them to be fruitful and multiply. And that's your blessings that come through that. And now as, as we start fast forwarding through here, you've built this legacy of faith. And now he's telling Moses, you are neat going to need to rely upon this faith of your fathers as you get ready to go in there I will be with you through this the same way that I was with them throughout their lives and that is our call of duty as parents and grandparents to be the role models to those so that one day they can look and say I was the God of and name our their grandfather and their father that's a, above them so then, verse 9 says that God saw their plight, and you're going to be my ambassador to, to Pharaoh and to Egypt, and I'm going to pull you out of the land of bondage. And Moses now asks him a question. He says, when I go to them, who am I going to tell them is sending me? They're going to ask, well, who are you representing? Who is this that's saying that you're going to bring us out of bondage? Why should we listen to you? And he says, tell them that I am who I am. And you know what that, that means in the Hebrew? It actually is. I be and I keep on being. It's the word for total being. Eternal. I never had a beginning. I never had an end. I, I am being and I will continue to be. I was and I am. That's the word for the name of God. Who he really is. The other ones are more descriptive. We're going to see in a minute that he's El Shaddai, the all-powerful God, the God who can deliver. But his name is the everlasting one. I be who I be. I am who I am. And he says, I am the one that you're going to tell him that. And then he's going to tell him that to rely upon these things that they have heard about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the promises. And I'm getting ready to fulfill that one now. And why? 
Think about this. Who's going to write Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus? Moses on the mountain Sinai, remember? They have no written word of God. They have been in bondage for 400 years without any word of God at all except the promises of hearsay handed down from family to family to family that we are supposed to be God's chosen people and he's supposed to come and get us. And I'm going to, I'm going to do a lesson one day on the only gospel that they ever had. And you know what that is? The bones of Joseph. Joseph, when he died, said, don't bury me. Don't take my sarcophagus and place it somewhere else. But you put it right in the middle of the people of Israel. And you fathers, you take your children and you go to that place. And you say, do you see this sarcophagus of our father Joseph? He said that God has promised he will come and deliver you out of this place and he will keep his promise one day so you continue to be faithful to him because one day he will honor that and we will carry these bones with us when we leave this place. That is the only gospel that those people had in slavery and bondage and persecution and pressure for 400 years. But they looked to that. And now the time is coming. And at the end of Exodus we'll see that. But Moses is now going to put all of this into action. They don't have any. So he's saying who do I tell them? The living God. The ever living one. Who was with your fathers. I have visited you. I have seen what's going on. And it is time to deliver you from this. And so now Moses has to go back. And tell Jethro. You remember we, we talked last week how that. In chapter 2, it had said that he decided to stay there when he rescued those seven daughters of Jethro and he provided water and he said, bring him in to eat. <clears throat> and it said he, he felt content to stay there. And then Zipporah, his daughter, was given to him as a wife. And so now he's got to go say, hey, God's calling me to go back to Egypt. I want to let you know and I want to take my wife and, my, and your grandson with you, my son. And he gives him leave and he says, peace, go ahead and go. And so he blesses him. And now if you want to turn the page to chapter 4 and about verse 18, he tells him, go in peace. And we pick up reading in, in verse 21 and it says this. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I put in your hand. Because see, at that burning bush, Moses was skeptical. So God said, throw your rod down, and it became a serpent. He said, grab the tail, and it turned back into a rod. He said, place your hand inside your cloak and pull it out. And he did, and it was leprous, and it turned white. He said, put it back in and take it out again, and it was clean. He said, I'm going to show you with signs and wonders that they will believe but Pharaoh will not. So he says, make sure you go before Pharaoh with all the wonders that I am going to give you. But his heart's going to be hardened. He ain't going to listen. And he will not let the people go. Then you will say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, that Israel is my son. You let my firstborn son go and worship me or I will be killing your firstborn. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment. Now here we get to those three verses that I told you about that's obscure. Here we go. So now it came to pass at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. 
And Zipporah, his wife, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. And then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. My lands, what is going on here? You've got Moses talking and doing all this and preparing, doing what God asked him to do. And all of a sudden, out of the blue comes this bizarre, obscure verse that God meets him and is seeking to kill him. What's going on? Well, let's unwrap it. Let's see what's going on in this. We've we got to know. And the other thing is, is how it's going to apply to us. Okay? So <clears throat> here's what's happening. They, get, they set out doing what God told them to do. And they get the first night, second night. It doesn't really say when, but they go into the encampment. Now, that word means an inn. They went to the Desert Dune Hotel because the word means a lodging place. It means a place to stay uh, like an inn. It's still used today, this word, as a motel in Israel. So they go into there, and the word is framed with the prefix ba, which means into. So the moment that Moses enters into this room for the night to get his meal and sleep and continue the journey, it says the Lord seeks to kill him. Why? Well, it's very interesting why. But the word for seek, to kill, is the word for sought is to interrogate. And then to go after information. So the Lord evidently confronted him about something. And the answer was no. And we can see from the text that it happens to be about circumcision, doesn't it? Because Zipporah, the wife, understands There's commentaries that try to go on and on about the reasons why all of this is happening and why Moses hadn't um, done the circumcision up to this point. I don't know about any of that kind of stuff. All I know is she took a sharp knife. Actually, it's a flint stone that was sharp. I don't know what the age of Gershon was at this time, but she takes it and she goes, the baby's prop or young man begins screaming and crying with the pain, but she has to take the foreskin off because the Lord has Moses in a headlock. He's in, he's in a sleeper hold, and I'll show you that in a minute. But as Moses is in a sleeper hold from God, she goes out and cuts off the foreskin, and it says she casts it upon his feet. And then it says this, look, look up there. It says, and he, which is God, let him, Moses, go. That word for uh, let go means that you have held on to something and you release it so that it sinks. It's like you got that heavy anchor on a boat and you toss it out and it sinks to the bottom. It means to just sink and relax from like exhaustion. He was being held tight, it says by the Lord, in, a, in that hold because he had what? Disobeyed. He hadn't done something that he was supposed to do. What do you mean? I thought he was a believer. I thought he was doing everything God told him to do. He'd left out something. He'd left out something, and as a father, he should have done it and been the role model, but he didn't. But because Zipporah now was made known what it was, she saved his life. She went and did the foreskin, and and when she said, you are now a, a bride of blood to me, a groom of blood, it means she fulfilled the covenant 
that was there. She did that covenant relationship with God and she threw it at his feet. And who had a hold of him? God. She, he sees this offering that was laid there and he releases his grip. And Moses sinks to the floor. Now, what all is happening here? Well, God made a couple of promises to Abraham. That's why he started out a minute ago saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. First promise is in Genesis 15. We're going to be there in about four or five weeks in our Wednesday night class. But he makes this covenant of blood. That word, it says that Zipporah took the stone and cut off the, the flesh of the foreskin. That is a covenant word. That word means that you cut a covenant. That's how it was known to the Hebrews. Genesis 15, when God made a promise, you know what he did? He told Abraham to go out and get these certain animals. There's about five of them. And he said, cut them, the same word. Cut them in half and lay them on each side of the trail. And that night, God made the promise to Abraham and he walked down that trail of blood Signing his part of the covenant with Moses or with Abraham. He signed the covenant by going through the water or the blood of the animals that had been cut. Two chapters later, if you want to go there or follow along up here on a Genesis 17 and verse 4. The second part, now it comes to Abraham's part of the covenant with God that he's making. He says, as for me, behold, I've made my covenant with you. You will be a father of many nations. No longer shall you be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations and kings out of you. And I will establish, verse 7, my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and your generations. This is for an everlasting covenant to be uh, to be to God, to you and your descendants and all of their generations. I will give you and your descendants after you the land. That's what they're getting ready to do, right? They're getting ready to go into the land and get it. Which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. But he said to Abraham, as for you, that was my part. As for you, you shall keep my covenant. You and your descendants throughout their generation. And this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants. Every male child among you shall be what? What had Moses not done? He hadn't done that, had he? That's the covenant. And they're getting ready to go get the land, but you haven't done what I've asked. Every male child shall be circumcised. You will be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it'll be what? A sign. It'll be the sign of the covenant between me and you. He hadn't sealed the covenant relationship with God as being the father of this son and bringing him into that fold of being God's, had he? He hadn't. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in their generation. It don't matter if it's a male child that's born into your home. It doesn't matter if you've bought him into your place to serve Every male will be circumcised to show as a sign in their flesh that they are mine. 
It's an outward sign that you are a part of my nation. You are my people. It is an everlasting covenant. Verse 14. Any uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people, for he has broken my covenant. Moses, you were a believer. You knew all of this. What reason? I don't know why he hadn't done it. But I'll tell you one reason why I do know it hadn't been done. Because these things are supposed to be examples for you and I. Look up there at Romans 15 and verse 4. Whatsoever things were written before time. That's the Old Testament times that, that Paul is telling us. They were written for our learning. There's a reason behind this for you and I to be able to study. They were written for our learning that we through patience and the comfort of the scriptures we might have hope. This is for us to learn from. 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 says this. Now all these things happen to them as examples. Why are these things written? Why did they even happen to these folks? To be examples. For you and I, they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages has come. So all of these things that God has put in his word in the Old Testament were put there for us. They are examples that he allowed them to go through because we're going to go through the same thing. So as they were going through them, they're there for us for our admonition. And that word means a warning or a, a encouraging gesture that, man, you need to do this or it's a warning. And so these things are for you and I to learn from and to know why they were put there. We got to learn from it. Now what is this one? Well circumcision was to be done to all of them. To be a symbol. Here's what it means. It's a covenant relationship between you and God. And we are beings of flesh. But we want to go into a spiritual kingdom. So what that actually represents was. Is when you cut off the foreskin. It was saying that the fleshly nature is being removed. And I am going to now serve God in a new life, in a new way. I am in a kingdom that is now by faith and is not by race or nations or tongues like we've been studying in Genesis on our Wednesday night class. We just had this last week. This is a new nation. Abraham is in the Ur of the Chaldees. He's descended of Shem. He is in that nation, but God calls him out. And he says, when you do this by faith, you are going to be a new nation and my, your seed is going to be my people for my inheritance. And so this is a race, a nation of spiritual people, not on anything physical. And the symbol of that was cutting off the flesh. And you know what? Their law dictated burying it. Why? Because it was a death and a burial and you are a new person. You might see where we're getting ready to go with this in a minute. You are in a unique spiritual family. So now... Moses had not fulfilled this. He had not been the role model that he should have been for whatever reason. But God now has brought it to our attention for a purpose and a thing behind it. So now we come back to our text and God met Moses as he entered that lodge. And he interrogated him and he saw that he hadn't. And Zephora then cuts off that fulfills the covenant for him in his place since he can't. He's in a headlock. And she puts it on his feet. Feet 
in the Bible represents a lot of times your purpose. You know, the scriptures are full of stuff like, don't have feet that are swift to spread mischief or to shed blood, right? So feet designs our purpose behind things. Or it can be like this in Romans 10, 15. It says, how are they going to hear unless someone is sent to them? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. The feet of Moses wasn't ready to go and be that minister, were they? Because he hadn't fulfilled the, the covenant relationship. So now when she does that, as the word says, it's not just cast, but that word means to touch. So she reached or to reach out or to strike, but it, you touch. So she either struck, reached out, or laid them on the feet of Moses. And when that happened, he was now able to be the minister of God to go into Egypt and to go and be his ambassador and set the people free. And God releases him, it says there, and he fell down and sank to the ground. And now he was going to receive his strength and move on into this. Now, out of all of this bizarre scripture, how is that an admonition to us? It says it was written for our warning or our encouragement so what do you and i take out of this how can we apply that to us that's the goal all right let's start with romans chapter 8 that's why we had all these chapters on our berean pages today romans chapter 8 says this i'm going to start at the bottom in verse 8 and then i'm going to work from 5 to 8 in chapter 8 so then those who are in the flesh cannot please god See, this was all about removing the flesh of the foreskin. Those that are in the flesh cannot please God. It's symbolic. Pretty simple so far. Verse 5, let's start at the top. Those who live or walk according to their fleshly nature, they've got their minds set on the flesh, the things of this world. But those who set their minds on the Spirit live according to the Spirit of God. But to be carnally minded or to be fleshly minded is is death folks to live spiritually minded though is peace and life the carnal the fleshly mind is an enmity it's at battle it's at war with god that's what that word means and it cannot be subject then unto god's law and to god's will because it can't it's not thinking in the proper channel so then it says again those who are in the flesh cannot please god and Moses found that out, didn't he? He was still walking by his power. He, he hadn't given everything over to God yet. He was still walking in the flesh. That's what this was an example of. So then I got to get rid of that. I got to do that. It, when he did, it put him back into a covenant relationship with God. Now, what's that for us? Sure, God made a covenant with Abraham. And now he's asking Moses to fulfill it. But that, you say, is Old Testament. Pastor, what about the New Testament? What about us? Well, let's look at this. Where's our covenant come from? Matthew 26. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. This is that night. They're partaking of the uh, feast of the Passover, which represents him. Jesus is the Passover lamb, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So he's in, and as they are fulfilling that Passover feast, he introduces a new feast, 
And look what he says there in verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took the bread. He blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood of my what? Covenant. It's, it's the new covenant, isn't it? This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many. For the remission of sin. See, we've got a new covenant, don't we? That's why it's called the new will and testament of Jesus Christ. You've got the old and now the new. We have a new covenant that Jesus made. God's covenant with Abraham, he had to walk through the blood of the slain animals, didn't he? Jesus is going to introduce the covenant, like he says here, with his blood. We have a new covenant that we no longer have to sacrifice and do all of those things. He is going to be the sacrifice of God for us, for a new covenant through his blood that forgives us of our sins. So now, what God then comes back two chapters later and says, okay, I've, I've fulfilled my part. Now there's something I want, want you to do to show that you are going to be mine and that you are my covenant people, remember? And that's where we saw in 17 of Genesis, the circumcision. Well, how does that relate to us then? Christ comes back two chapters later, Matthew 28, and he, and he says this. He says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you'll be teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So to those who have believed, like Abraham did but like Moses did but then there was something else to fulfill that covenant as as a, just a way of saying I believe and I want to be a part of that then Jesus has asked us to be baptized also and you say oh now wait a minute Daryl how does that relate to this circumcision thing okay I'm glad you asked me I'm glad you asked those questions Colossians chapter 2 this fits the whole thing into the picture now, how it applies to us from that obscure passage in Exodus. It says this, in him, in Christ, we are what? Huh? Did you realize that? In him, we are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. I am so glad that Zippor is not coming after me today. This circumcision is made without hands, Putting off the body of the flesh. Isn't that what we just said that was for? And they buried it, right? It was to put off the old man of sin. To put off your flesh. And it was a symbolic thing, really. And they buried it. Well, now look. So you put off your body of the flesh when you're circumcised by Christ with a circumcision without hands. You put off the body of sins in the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. When you're buried with him in baptism in the which you are raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and sins because you were still in your fleshly nature, now you have been forgiven. You've been made alive. Before you weren't, you was uncircumcised still. But now you are. He has made you alive together with him. And through that, he has forgiven you all of your trespasses. So that is the connection of how this obscure passage in Exodus. And what happened to Moses is an example for us 
on being a Christian and coming into the covenant relationship with God through the operation of Christ, through faith in what he did upon the cross, you say, I believe and now I am obeying and I am in a covenant relationship with him and the body of my sins is wiped out at that point. So we go back again as a worship team comes on up and we get ready to close this out. You know, those that are in the flesh, still it says in Romans 8, cannot be pleasing unto God. Uh, if you're here today and you're like Moses, you're in that same boat that he was in, you believe, you know that there's a God, but maybe I haven't fulfilled that covenant relationship with him that's on my part. Maybe today's the day that I do that, that I make sure of, of that, and I follow through like, I've been asked to you you cannot be Moses could not go and be a warrior and an ambassador for God in that land until he did until that was laid at his feet we can't be a spiritual warrior for God in this world until that happens as well we can't be fleshly minded um, if if you're here don't delay don't wait Moses almost waited too long didn't he I mean he was in the headlock and going down and God released him when that happened if you're here today don't delay if you're here today and you've done that but you say you know what and I've been here a lot of times sometimes I'm still a little fleshly minded sometimes I'm being being too much in the flesh and not enough led by the spirit and producing those fruits of the spirit well God's got another promise for you in first John 1 9 he says if you will confess those faults to me, just to ask for forgiveness, you're in my covenant relationship. I am faithful and just to forgive you of those things and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that puts you right back there in that covenant relationship of being a spiritual warrior and moving on and, and being his ambassador in this world, this Egypt that we live in as we try to set people free from the bondage of the flesh that they don't even realize they're in. So let's pray. Father, I have to just smile and chuckle when I read through your word and I'm just seeing a, this story of Moses and out of the blue, you, you put three little verses in there like this that are so bizarre, obscure, out of place, and then the next verse after Zipporah does that and you let Moses go, the very next verse doesn't even elaborate. All it says is, is that Moses went and met Aaron on the mountain. They begin talking about what they're going to do. But when you stop and you d dissect those bizarre things, you begin to see some of your, your wisdom and your nuggets of gold that you've placed in there that has so much meaning. So, Father, we pray that today that we have learned some things, that we've learned that we need to be role models to our kids. We need to always be there for you so that through faith we, we lead a life that's an example, that then they have that to look forward to and that your faithfulness always brought us through it and it will them as well. And then also, Father, how that, we need to respect your requests and your covenant relationships that you make with us. And we're so thankful that Jesus did all that was needed on the other side. And all I've got to do is just obey in faith. And 
And Father, I pray that each and every soul that is here today that is going through so much pressure and trials and strife that you would bless them and their life, Father. Bring them peace and comfort and joy and release them from these pressures, Father. And I pray that if there's those who need to follow through with the example that you showed us today, that they will before it's too late. In Jesus' name, amen.